remain standing. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to 2 Kings chapter number 5. 2 Kings chapter number 5. I appreciate Brother Suttle, not only the tremendous message this morning in these 10 o'clock hour in spite of his voice, but I appreciate Brother Suttle being flexible and being willing to do whatever. Brother Barley behind you, uh, appreciate him being flexible. Of course, he was a pastor, so he understands the heart of a pastor, but I appreciate him being willing uh, to just do whatever I felt like God would have us to do. Originally, I was going to preach in 10 o'clock hour and give him the main service, uh, but through a series of just studying and the message that God laid upon my heart, it worked out great. He did a phenomenal job in the Sunday school. And if you missed that, you should go listen to it. I had asked him to refresh our hearts, refresh our minds on the subject of faith promise missions, and he did a great, great job. And if you missed that, I want you to go and listen to it. Uh, but after the service this morning, we will fill these out together, these faith promise pledges. And so if you would just hang on to them. If you didn't get one, we'll make sure you do uh, after the service. But God gave me a message Thursday morning, and it's just been brewing and percolating, and I cannot wait to preach it to you this morning. Out of 2 Kings chapter 5, are you there? For the sake of time, I will not read the whole chapter. I originally had planned to do that, but I'm not going to. This is the story of the miracle where Naaman, the Syrian captain, is healed of his leprosy. It's an intriguing story. It's an unusual story. Probably one of the last places that you'd ever look to find a missions message. But God gave me a missions message out of this chapter. And I cannot wait this morning to show you. Uh, but for the sake of time, we will not read the entire chapter. I would like to notice verse number two. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus saith the maid that is of the land of Israel. Then you get over to verse number 20. And the Bible tells us that, uh, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Sitting in chapel on Thursday morning while the preacher was preaching just out of nowhere, it hit me like a ton of bricks that there are two servants in this story. And as I began to research and study this passage, I was shocked at the contrast in these two servants. And so this morning, with God's help, I want to preach this thought, a tale of two servants. A tale of two servants. Lord, help us this morning. I pray that you allow me to convey to your people that which you have placed upon my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Before I get into that part of the message, I want to draw an analogy from this story Put it in perspective of world missions. We are observing and, and having our annual missions conference started on Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, three great services, three missionaries presenting their work, three great messages from Brother Suttle on the subject of world missions. And then on last night, we had our international dinner. And my goodness, we had food from all over the world. Had a great time of food and fellowship last night. And uh, then, of course, this morning, a great message in the 10 o'clock hour on faith promise giving. But this passage of scripture right here 
has hidden in it a great story uh, that we could easily preach a world missions, a missions message. I'm not, but I do want to hit a couple of points by way of introduction just to show you what I mean when I say this is a phenomenal missions chapter. We see in verse number one, the imperfection. Look at what it says. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria he was also a mighty man of valor. What a man, what a character, what, a, what an amazing uh, description of a man that we read about in this story, but God's not finished. The, chat, the verse ends in verse one, but he was a leper. Naaman was a captain, a great man, an honorable man, a mighty man of valor. He had a lot going for him, we could say that, but he had a problem, he was a leper. Leprosy, of course, is the key issue, the key problem in this chapter from front to back. Leprosy, by the way, is a picture of sin. Whenever you see leprosy in the Bible, it's a type and a picture of sin. We don't have time to give you all the verses to support that, uh, but it definitely uh, is. And no matter who you are, no matter how good a person you think you are, you have that imperfection called sin, amen. And the Bible's very clear, Romans chapter number three, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5, 12, wherefore as by one man, talking about Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Every single one of us in here this morning uh, have a sin problem. Before we got saved, that was the one common denominator, no matter how morally upright a law-abiding citizen you might have considered yourself, you have that problem of sin. Sin, by the way, is the main reason for the need for world evangelism. The world is lost. They're unsaved. They're going to hell, and they need God. They're unbelieving. They're sinners in need of salvation. So sin is the problem, and the gospel and world evangelism is the solution. So in our story, we see the imperfection in verse number one. Secondly, in verse three, we see the intervention. The Bible tells us that this little maid, when she saw that her master or her master's wife or his, her mistress's husband, if you will, had contracted leprosy, the Bible tells us that she spoke out in verse number three, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria for he would recover him of his leprosy. What a beautiful picture and a type of a missionary, a little missionary with a testimony, being a witness of her God and the ability of her God to help somebody with their problem. What a beautiful story, what a beautiful picture and a typology. And uh, this chapter, of course, would be much shorter if end up much differently if this little missionary had not spoken out and intervened and inserted herself into this problem, into this man's terrible situation. And that's what missionaries do. They step up, they intervene. They may be uninvited, they may be unrequested, they may be unwanted in many cases, but they insert themselves into the problem of sin around the world and what they can do to make a difference. They see a need, they get a burden, they ask God to give them an opportunity to meet that need and she could not help Naaman, uh, but she knew somebody who could, amen. And that's what we as soul winners do, we point them to the God that can help them with their problem. We point them to the great physician. We show them where they can find the balm of Gilead, amen. 
So not only do we see the imperfection and the intervention, but thirdly, in verse number 10, we see the illumination. The Bible tells us, uh, leaving out all the story where Naaman and the king sent him down with all this money. Uh, he gets down to verse uh, number nine. Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot, stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go, wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. What a beautiful type and a picture there of the illumination of the gospel, just like the gospel is the good news. This prescription, this formula that was given uh, to Naaman here in this verse is the same way the gospel works. It is a simple solution to a universal problem. I'd say that's good news, wouldn't you? By the way, this is the best news Naaman had ever heard. The gospel is God communicating and illuminating the hearts and minds of the world to his terms for redemption and for hope and for salvation. And when we preach the gospel, we are communicating with the sinner God's remedy for their sin problem. It's simple. It's easy to understand. I was saved when I was four years old. That's how simple and easy to understand it is. It's free, just like this story here. I mean, they brought all this money, brought all this payment, and the man of God never one time mentioned the price tag for the cure to his problem, amen? The prescription is free. Can I get a witness? Amen. Not only is it simple and easy to understand and it's free, but the best part is it works. <laughs> it works every single time. Not once around the world has the message of the gospel failed to help a person seeking the truth and seeking God to find salvation. So we see in verse 10, the illumination. Verse number 11, we see the indignation. Naaman wasn't very happy with this message. Bible tells us he was wroth in verse 11. Bible tells us in verse number 12, he walked away in a rage. I thought about the correlation between the Great Commission and this story right here. Uh, a lot of people around the world don't wanna hear the message. They need it. They're gonna go to hell without it, but they get upset when they hear it. That doesn't change the message. We got preachers today changing the message because the people they're talking to don't like the message. The Bible calls that crowd hirelings, false teachers and deceivers and liars, and apostates. They may not like hearing that their false religion isn't good enough. They may not want to hear that salvation's by grace through faith plus nothing, minus nothing. They might not appreciate being told that their idols and their false gods are not real and can't help them, but that's what they've got to hear if they're going to get saved. They've got to be told. You've got to hear it. Naaman didn't like it. In fact, Naaman got real creative coming up with alternative, uh, alternate salvation plans. He said, go dip in the River Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. That's pretty simple. He said, we got rivers back where I came from, Abana and Farpar. He said, we got rivers back there. Only problem is there's only one way to heaven. Amen. All roads don't lead to, might lead to Rome, but all rivers don't get you clean. Amen. He needed to dip in the right river. So we see the illumination. Boy, you can preach a missions message on this right here. I'm not. I'm just giving you the, the points. Number four, we see, or number five, not only do you see the indignation, but then you see in verse number 14, the invigoration. Bible says he went and dipped himself seven times in the river Jordan, according to the sayings of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child. That's a type of a picture, being born again. What about that? By the way, world evangelism is God's way to give the world a new lease on life. And he does that by giving them life and life more abundantly. 
grateful for that. They can be born again, saved by the grace of God, redeemed. They can be healed. They can be cured of their sin problem. John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Sin's the problem. Jesus is the cure. Amen. And thanks to this witness of this little missionary, this little girl with, can I say it, good news from a far country. Naaman was healed of his leprosy. What a great missionary story. But this morning, I want to look at the characters that are in this story. This message hit me like a ton of bricks out of nowhere. Sometimes people say something and it causes me to think of something uh, 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 in the Bible. But this message, I don't have a clue where it came from because Brother, Brother Firan, a Thursday morning during chapel, was preaching out of Isaiah 6, but sitting right there on that pew, just as plain as day, the Bible said, God said to me, there's two servants in that story about Naaman. You need to go look at that. And boy, I started looking at it and I could not believe it. I love it when that happens. And I began to look at these two servants and I noticed that they could not be more opposite. In fact, the only thing that I could find that they had in common was that they both believed in the God of Israel, but that's pretty much where it ends. One's a male, one's a female. One's young, one is presumably older. One is unnamed, the other's name is given. One was in his own homeland, the other was in a foreign country. One was serving voluntarily, the other one had been kidnapped and forced to serve. One was in close proximity to God's man and had fellowship and had God's people around him and the little girl was off by herself, had nobody around her and just the list of contrast goes on and on and on. Charles Dickens wrote a classic, A Tale of Two Cities. Talked about the two economic social classes in England and France right before the French Revolution. He talked about two cities in one, tell of two cities. He talked about these, this, 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 this contrast. And I thought about these two servants, both of them servants of God. Both of them in the same story and in the same chapter. Both of them interacting with the same man, but they could not be more opposite. And then I thought of this. It occurred to me that everybody in this service this morning, everybody watching this service online right now pretty much falls into one of these two categories. Are you ready? Put your seatbelts on. There's two servants. We're going to look at the first one this morning. The little maid. We're going to call her the honorable servant. The honorable servant. We virtually know nothing about this little girl, this first servant. We don't even know her name. God didn't see fit to tell us the name of this little maid. We don't know anything about her family. We don't know her hometown, where she was from. We don't know her age or how long she had been serving Naaman's wife. This little maid, though, we know is an honorable servant. Paul talked in 2 Timothy 2, 21, about being servants of honor, vessels of honor. He said, if a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. This little girl was an honorable servant because she was prepared for a good work. God used her in this story in an unbelievable way. A couple things I want to notice about this honorable servant. If you're taking down notes, number one, write this down. We see her distressful predicament in verse number two. The Bible says Assyrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel, a little maid. She was in a foreign land. She was there due to circumstances beyond her control. 
In fact, I thought about the connection between her and being a foreign missionary. She, it wasn't her idea to be there. She was there because someone mightier and stronger than her had put her there. Imagine the loneliness, the feelings of isolation. Imagine the many nights that she no doubt cried herself to sleep. You think about language barriers. You think about culture shock. You think about the stress and anxiety that she had to contend with on a daily basis, serving people that she didn't even know and probably didn't even like. But she was an honorable servant because she was able to see somebody else's needs instead of her own. That's really the first step to having a heart for missions is lift up your eyes and look on the fields. Mine eye affecteth my heart. See, I don't only really have a burden for the world it's because you're looking in the mirror. Take the mirror off the wall and put a window there. Amen. Amen. World's much bigger, sir, than you and your wife and kids. Amen. This little maid right here is in an absolutely adverse, distressful predicament, and yet she was able to discern the needs of those around her. That's an honorable servant. Number two, she was an honorable servant because of her difficult prerogative. When her master Naaman fell victim to leprosy. This little maid had one of two choices. Let him die or help him live. That's pretty much what missions boils down to. She had the choice to let nature take its course or she could intervene, insert herself into his problem and help him do something about it. If you don't get nothing else I say this morning, I want you to get this right here. It was not her fault that he got leprosy. But it would have been her fault if he had died of it when she knew there was a cure. She wasn't responsible for his sickness. She was responsible for his cure. Somebody in her position might have been glad to see her captor die a slow, painful death. Anybody that had been through what she had been through would have been glad to see Naaman die. She had been kidnapped, snatched away from her family and her country, forced into servitude and slavery at the hands of people she didn't even know and like. But she did not want to see him die the death of a leper. Maybe she saw the pain in his wife's eyes when she knew that she could no longer hold and embrace her husband. Maybe she saw the hurt and the pain in the faces of her children, uh, the children when they couldn't have their daddy there at home with them. Maybe she was moved by the shameful condition that this man was going to be reduced to that had been in such a state of a valor and a great honor as a captain. Regardless of what moved her, she made a difficult decision. I'm going to say something to help this man with his problem. She was an honorable servant because she made a conscious decision to intervene in Naaman's problem. Can I get a witness this morning? World Missions is the local church assuming responsibility for the billions of souls around the world that will die and go to hell without God. It's not their fault they're sinners. It's not their fault, it's not our fault that they're sinners and it's not our fault that they're going to hell unless we don't tell them that they don't have to go. But if we have the truth if we have the gospel, if we have the capability to tell them and don't, it will be our fault and there's nothing honorable about letting the world die and go to hell without hearing the gospel at least one time. 
Thirdly, write this down. We see her dogmatic presumption. In verse number three, she said to her mistress, would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now, she sounds pretty dogmatic to me. She was confident that if Naaman could somehow get to Elisha, he would be healed. This is an astounding presumption from what I can understand because as far as I can tell, first of all, she was assuming that Elisha would want to heal a foreign captain, a foreign invader captain uh, of anything. But secondly, she was pretty bold and dogmatic in her presumption that he could even if he wanted to for the simple fact that it had never been done before. Now stay with me. This little girl had never seen anybody healed of leprosy and she had definitely never seen Elisha heal anybody of leprosy. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus told us that in Luke 4, 27. Jesus said there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them were cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. So this little girl is dogmatic. If my master could just get to the prophet, he would be healed. How in the world did she know that? He had never done it before. And yet we, who have seen God save the worst of sinners, still don't think God can save people. We still think there's people he can't change and he can't reach. And we don't witness because we just don't think that he can when he's done it millions of times. Here she is confident that he could be healed and she had never even seen that happen before. Why is it we don't believe God can save someone? Why do we doubt God's power? Why do we doubt God's transforming power? She was an honorable servant because she believed God could do something that she had never seen done before. Is everybody still with me this morning? Number four, write this down. We see her dynamic persuasion. Her dynamic persuasion. The Bible says she's talking to her mistress in verse number three. Verse four says, and one went in and told his Lord, so we know it wasn't his, her mistress. It was somebody else. Some man went and told Naaman what he heard the little girl say to her mistress. Stay with me now. She had enough passion. She had enough conviction in her testimony and in her witness that somebody overheard her remarks and went and told somebody else. She was convincing enough in her faith that her message was repeated to someone else. She didn't tell Naaman that he could be healed. She told Naaman's wife he could be healed and she was so convincing that somebody eavesdropping went and told Naaman that he could be healed and then they went and told the king and the king got the ball rolling all from one little girl's very strong, convincing, persuasive testimony. Let me ask you a question. How many times has mine and your witness been so passionate that it went beyond the person we were talking to. How many times has your witness extended to a second and third recipient? She was an honorable servant because her witness exceeded her intended audience. Now, well, we could preach about that little girl all morning, but I want to turn our attention to that other servant. We're going to call him the horrible servant. You have the honorable servant and you've got the horrible servant. He was really, really bad at his job. I'm gonna show you some things about him. 
By the way, this was Elisha, the man of God's personal servant. I thought to myself, Elisha, what a great servant he was to Elijah. How did Elisha get stuck with this bum? Elisha had a personal servant named Gehazi. We see him in earlier passages. However, in this story, he was not an honorable servant. He brought shame and reproach and disgrace on his master. He brought shame and reproach on God. He brought shame and reproach on his entire family. Let's look at him. Four things I want you to notice about the horrible servant. I want you to first of all notice his deficient participation. When I was reading verse number 10, Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. It doesn't say that that messenger was Gehazi, but I assume it was. I believe it was. Even if it wasn't, Gehazi was there. Okay? Gehazi was there. Is everybody still with me? You got to follow me now for this story to work. Gehazi's there when this man with leprosy shows up on the front porch, says, I heard you could help me. And the man of God sent a message, didn't even come out and tell him personally. Sent a message, tell him, go dip in the river seven times and he'll be all right. And so the messenger, presumably, Gehazi walks out on the front porch, said, go and wash in the river Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Now, we have to give him credit. He at least conveyed the message the way it was given. But that is about as far as he went in getting involved in Naaman's healing. Because the story goes on to tell us that Naaman was wroth, and he went away. We don't see the servant saying a word to him. We don't see Gehazi trying to calm him down and reason with him at all. In fact, Naaman goes on and says, uh, I thought, I sure, I will, I, behold, I thought, I thought we will surely come out to thee and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Here is a man dying of leprosy with his mind filled with preconceived ideas and Gehazi did nothing to set the record straight which is exactly what we deal with when we go soul winning. That's exactly what missionaries deal with on the foreign field. They encounter people that are dying in sin and going to hell and their minds and thoughts are filled with preconceived ideas that are completely unfounded in the word of God, but they got it all figured out. They're dying of leprosy, mind you, but they know exactly how it's supposed to be done. When you tell them, and you have to walk through them and you have to deal with that stuff and work through all those differences and beliefs and break it down for them to help them understand. Gehazi is doing nothing. In fact, in verse number 12, as I said earlier, uh, Naaman comes up with all these alternative remedies. Well, we got rivers back home. I'll just go back home and dip in those rivers. They're way better and they're cleaner and I'm more familiar with them and that's more in my comfort zone. Where's, where, where, where's Gehazi saying, yeah, but that's not gonna work. I'm sure you've got great rivers. I'm sure, I'm sure you're sincere in your beliefs, sir, but those rivers are not going to help you because you think it's about the river, and it's not about the river. It's about faith and obedience, which is exactly what missionaries and soul winners do every single time. They talk to somebody, help people work through all their preconceived ideas. Well, what if I do this and what if I do that? Well, I'm sure those things are good, but that's not the answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can try all these other ways, but Jesus says if you try to get in some other way, you're a thief and a robber. Jesus said, I am the door. Gehazi's doing nothing to help Naaman. Oh, we gave him the message, but that was it. 
He doesn't seem to care if the man lived or died. Is everybody still with me? The Bible says he walked away in a rage. We have no record that Gehazi, the messenger, went after him. What am I saying? I'm saying he was deficient in his participation. I wonder how many times we have shared the gospel but really didn't care if the people we were witnessing to got saved or not. How many times have we handed somebody a track really weren't concerned if they ever read it or not? How many times have we knocked on a door and secretly hoped nobody was home? How many times have we done our duty but did it with zero compassion, zero burden, zero concern? Well, I told them, I told them what Jesus said. Yeah, but you didn't care. Gehazi told Naaman exactly what the man of God said, but he down deep in his heart didn't care if the man lived or died. Is everybody still with me? We see his deficient participation. See, I think a lot of times we as Christians do just enough to ease our conscience. Not only do we see his deficient participation, but secondly, we see his distorted perspective. Make a long story short, Naaman gets healed in verse number 14, returned, tried to give that money, tried to give those, those things to the man of God. The man of God said in verse number 16, I will receive none. He urged him to take it, but he refused. I'm not, I'm not here for your money. I'm glad not all preachers are con artists. So anyway, make a long story short, he said, go in peace. So he departed in verse 19. But look at verse 20. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman, the servant Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. Notice how messed up Gehazi's perspective is about this situation. He didn't mention how that Naaman had been spared a horrible death. He didn't notice that Naaman's marriage had been spared. He didn't care that Naaman's children had been spared the pain of not having a daddy at home. He didn't care that Naaman's army had been spared the loss of a great and honorable and mighty man of valor. He didn't care that Naaman was spared from a life of shame and disappointment and loss. All he saw was that Naaman had been spared having to pay for it. Servant of Elisha said, Behold, my master hath spared Naaman this Syrian in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. It's amazing how cockeyed our perspective can get when we're not where we ought to be with God. We can't see the forest for the trees. We interact with people all day long that are lost and going to hell without God, and we don't see them as such. We just see him as a coworker, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, somebody checking out our groceries at the checkout line, somebody filling our order, hamburgers and french fries. We don't see what they really need. Thirdly, I want you to write this down. We see his disturbing priority. Notice what he said in verse number 20. He's been spared 
that which he brought, but as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. <laughs> I find it interesting. It's the first time in this story you see Gehazi running to do anything. And he's running to take something from somebody as opposed to running to give it to them. You feel that? That's called conviction. In fact, in the previous chapter, chapter four is a story of the Shunammite woman, her little boy that died out in the field. She came and told the man of God, you know the story. She went to go find the man of God. She found him in verse 25. He said to Gehazi's servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with this child? Is it well? Man of God said, I want you to run, check on this woman, make sure she's okay. And I thought about Gehazi. The only time he ran was when there was somebody more spiritual than him that told him to. Right. Come on now. Rest of the time, he was a bum. But now let somebody have something that he, that he can benefit from. Oh, as the Lord liveth, I will run and take. And I wondered how many Christians today that have been blessed with the new birth, eternal life, salvation, a home in heaven, the only thing that really gets us motivated to run around is when we're taking something. By the way, this little maid in verse 3 wasn't thinking about herself. She wasn't looking for some angle to improve her situation, though I'm sure I have to assume that it did improve her situation. I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I'm pretty sure Naaman coming back healed, probably eased her situation. Wouldn't you imagine? Little girl, what's your name? Where are you from? Boys, y'all take this girl back home to her mom and daddy. Or... Let's find her a nicer bed. And let's find her a nicer plate and give her some better food. I have to imagine. But that ain't why she did it. She wasn't motivated for selfish reasons. Oh, I wish that my servant, my master was at the man of God's house. He surely could heal him. What's in it for you, little girl? Oh, nothing. I was just don't want to see him die of leprosy. That's all. Gehazi, on the other hand, I will run and take. Look at what the man of God said to him in verse number 25. He went in and stood before his master. Elisha said, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Look at this statement. Is it a time to receive money? Let me ask you, let me ask you a question, church. What time is it? Is it time to receive money? Or is it a time to give some? Because that's really where we're at this morning with the faith promise. Is it time to receive money? Is it time to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maid servants? Or is it time to help somebody by giving? Is it time to pad your pockets, focus on your hobbies? Is it time to fill your life with sports and entertainment? Is it time to expend your energy on things of no eternal value because there's nothing honorable about being a servant of God and running to and fro, serving yourself? Yeah. 
Fourthly, write this down. We see his deceptive portrayal. In verse number 22, he chased Naaman down. Naaman saw him running in verse number 21. Is it well? He said, all is well. My master hath sent me, saying, behold, even now there, there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garment. What does it mean? Gehazi wasn't just covetous and lustful, but he was a liar. He lied to Naaman in verse 22. He lied to his master in verse 25 when he said, where'd you go? And he said, I didn't go anywhere. But that's, it, it gets worse. He tried to camouflage his own personal wants as a concern for somebody else. Oh, their sons of the prophets have showed up. Can I get that money from you? I want to give it to them. He tried to convince Naaman that he was trying to be a blessing when in fact he was keeping it for himself. Naaman says, well, here, just take two. Take two. Take four changes of clothes. Here, I want to be a blessing to those sons of the prophet. And he said, bring it on. And he took it. Watch this. He took what was given to him for the ministry and kept it for himself. I ain't never seen a missions message in this story like God showed it to me this week. I wonder how many times God has said, oh, I'm giving this to you so you can give it to the sons of the prophets. I'm gonna give this to you and you make sure it goes where it's needed. Lord, I'll bless, if you'll bless me, I'll give the faith promise. I'm gonna fill out this card, Lord. If, you, if you'll bless me, if you'll give me a little extra money, give me a raise, help me figure out some way to cut down some of my bills, I'll give the faith promise. And God says, well, here, I'm gonna bless you and I'm gonna give it to you and I'm just gonna pour it out. And then we take that which was given to us for the ministry and we keep it for ourselves. That makes us a horrible servant. And then at the end of the year, well, Lord, I, I look at my contribution given and Lord, I... I just didn't, I didn't give as much as I said I would. God says, I don't know why. You made more than you've ever made. Yeah. I wonder how many Christians today are living a lie. Try to make God think that they really care about the ministry when really they're just trying to figure out a way to pad their own pockets. Yeah. They try to give an appearance of being involved, but they really aren't. Let me close with this. It occurred to me that every one of us sitting in here this morning falls under one of these two categories. We're going to identify more or less with one of these two servants. We can either be motivated by grace or we can be motivated by greed. We can either have a testimony of compassion or we can have a testimony of covetousness. We will either be stirred by the needs of those around us or we will be stirred by the wants that are within us. We will either intervene or we will interfere. The story started out in verse 1, Naaman, but he was a leper. You know how the story ends in verse number 27? The leprosy thereof of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper. Gehazi. 
Now, I'm not preaching that you can lose your salvation. I'm not going to preach it. Here's what I'm preaching. Stay with me now. I'm done. This tells me that Gehazi, a servant that does not honor God, is no better than the people they're supposed to be trying to help. Now that's what God gave me out of that chapter this week. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, which one of these two servants do you best identify with? Will it be that honorable servant, the little maid, though you've got problems and troubles and things in your own life, you still take time to take care of other people around you, see about their need, be concerned about people in foreign lands. And maybe you could be a little more fervent in your testimony, your witness. But God is using you to make a difference. God's using you to change lives. People are going to heaven because of you. People are getting saved because of you. Or you identify with that horrible servant that really don't do much more than what you have to. You're really just more or less thinking about yourself. I'm asking God this morning, the Holy Ghost, to speak to hearts. I'm not up here this morning to judge you. I preached a story. God gave us an application. Now it's up to you to do something with it. We're going to fill these faith promise cards out here in just a second. Members of Calvary Baptist Church. How much time have you spent thinking and praying about the number that you're going to put on this card? Brother Suttle said it this morning. We sing the song, send the light. Send the light, the blessed gospel light. Somebody's got to pay the light bill. Somebody's got to pay the light bill. They're not going to get the gospel in the Philippines. They're not going to get the gospel in Ireland. They're not going to get the gospel to the orphans in South Africa the Northwest United States region without God's people being obedient in their giving.